The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I got court first thing in the morning. I can't show up looking like Leon Spinks. Why not? I'm Saul Goodman. Pow! I fight for you. (laughs) Put me in the legal ring and I'll fight for you to make them pay. I'm Saul Goodman and I'll fight for you. So you better call Saul or else. Hello and welcome back into the Prestige TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson. Joining me here, he swears... His name is Ben and not Lalo Salamanca. <laughs> it's Ben Lindbergh. Hi, Ben. Yeah, I actually go by Ben Salamanca now. I'm oh, a, okay. a dashing businessman <laughs> from New Mexico who picks up German widows at bars. <laughs> Are you working on like uh, cultivating a drake in the front of your hair? <laughs> working on that. Working on the handlebar mustache to uh, block most of my face. Oh, okay. The better to impersonate you by, I, I yes. assume. All right. We'll talk about all of that in a second, obviously. We're here to talk about Better Call Saul. We are here specifically to talk about season six, episode five, Black and Blue. Before I get into that, just some prestige TV programming reminders as per usual. Folks are still covering Winning Time on this feed. Folks are still covering Atlanta on this feed. And Sean, as we've mentioned a couple times, is covering Barry with Bill Hader on Sunday night. So that's all... For your enjoyment on this feed, and I'm sure there's more to come in the weeks ahead. Yeah. What Colonel Sanders is to chicken, the Prestige TV <laughs> podcast is to TV. Wow, 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 wow. Poyos <laughs> Hermanos just stood up in anger. We have two more weeks of this before they take the break, right? Because this is episode five of a seven episode chunk, and then the final six will be starting in July. So you'll have two more weeks of us on this beat, and then hopefully we'll be back. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends on how many people are listening to this, whether or not we'll be back <laughs> for the final stretch. But I hope we are. Tell your friends. Listen yes, to this feed. Anyway, uh, so today we're here to talk about Season 6, Episode 5, Black and Blue, directed by Melissa Bernstein, who's like a 15-year veteran of the Gilliganverse. This is her second episode that she's ever directed. She did Season 5, Episode JMM. And the episode was written by Allison Tatlock. And Allison wrote... Season four, Say Something Stupid, season five, 50% off, and season five, JMM. So it's a reunion of source for Allison and Melissa. Do these names invoke anything for you, Ben, as you head into this episode? I believe JMM is the origin story of Spice Curls, which it becomes is. very important <laughs> later in this episode. 
<laughs> if you're wondering what Spice Girls are, go back to JMM. Learn all about it. Spice Girls is what I call uh, Tony Dalton's <laughs> forelock when he plays Lalo <laughs> Salamanca. That's his Spice Curl. Which Spice Curl are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've always been, I, I, like, I always wanted to be a ginger, uh-huh. but I think I'm a baby. How about you? <laughs> You strike me as like maybe a sporty spice, possibly. Yeah, I'll take it. And in addition to all of that, I just want to re-mention that there are two directors of photography. I think that really comes into play in this episode. There's two directors of photography working this season. The odd episodes, which this is one, uh, are is Marshall Adams, who has been who's done like 22 episodes of the show, so he's a veteran DP of the show. So Melissa's directed two episodes, but the DP here is Marshall Adams, and I kind of want to kick off by talking about the cinematography in this episode because this is an episode that you know. Looking around, seeing people's reactions, listening to Chris and Andy talk about it on the watch, uh, seems to be not everyone's favorite and not one that they felt like a lot happened. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought we wouldn't have much to talk about, and then I got dug into it, and I was like, oh, I have a lot to say, actually. But <laughs> yeah. I, wa- I want to start with the cinematography, because it seemed like a very... We talked about these impossible shots in the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul universe uh, that is famous for these stylistic putting the camera where you don't expect the camera to be. To my taste... There was just 10%, 15% more of that in this episode than I really needed. Like, it just started to feel like a challenge of how many trick shots we can get into one episode. Did How mm-hmm. did you feel about it? This is heresy. Heresy, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I always appreciate the impossible shots. And even more, I, I'd like the makers of Better Call Saul to just do a nature documentary someday. Because, you know, <laughs> they just like really get in there. You can see like the ridges of people's fingerprints and ants and everything. I don't know how they get these shots. But I see what you mean just because there wasn't so much going on in the surface, I guess, of this episode. There's more. There's subtext. We'll get into the deep currents here. But... This is an episode where everyone is waiting for something, right? Which we'll probably get into. I mean, Jimmy and Kim are waiting to put the final touches on their plan. Howard is waiting for Jimmy's next move. Mike and Gus are waiting for Lalo. The Sandpiper people, now featuring Matt Saracen's grandma, are waiting for the lawsuit to proceed. And we, of course, the audience, are waiting for something to happen here, right? So there's a lot of waiting for shoes to drop and shoes not dropping. And so maybe some of the camera work seemed a little too cute, perhaps. And maybe because there wasn't so much going on in terms of action, that was kind of all there was on some level. Like I think Andy called the camera work sumptuous (laughs) in this episode or possibly the production. So that's always a pleasure. But I guess even Saul can go overboard at times. I mean, you start the episode with the classic Saul-style montage. This was like a very Better Call Saul-looking episode, for better or worse. Yeah, I I love... When when it started, when the when the opening montage started, and I'll just say the moment where I was like, "Is this too much?" Is when like we follow the station wagon into the garage that has Mike in the back, and then somehow they like hook the camera in that continuous shot, hook the camera onto the garage door so that it closes when as the garage door closes, and I was like. I'm sure that's a fun challenge for you to do. I'm not sure that it added anything. (laughs) I hope Jonathan Banks is okay (laughs) after they crammed him in the RAV Ford for that ride. This is not the last time that we will see Mike crammed in a trunk, unfortunately for him. Oh, man. Mm. All right. Um, (laughs) But let's talk about the montage that starts, the cold open here. We find out by the end of it that we're watching a slide rule that belongs to Werner go into some lucite. 
mm-hmm. but when it started and we see the chemicals, I was like, are we getting a cook montage? Yeah. Are we getting like, like a real old fashioned Breaking Bad cook montage? But as it started, the song that we hear over it is a German song, Instiller Nacht, which is a it's a song of mourning. And but the fact that it was in German, I was like, oh, Mm-hmm. Oh, Lalo is going to Germany. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like that's that was my first thought. I was like, "Oh my God, it's happening! We're going to Germany." Something that I found out while listening to the Insider podcast is the DP on the on this little cook montage was one of the camera operators, Matt Cradle, because they filmed this while they were also filming the boxing scene. So they were trying wow. to do both at the same time, which is wild. But I, I mean, I loved it. I love, I love all the cook montages on Breaking Bad. So I was happy to like have goop poured over my camera uh, yes. in, in this. How did you feel? Do you remember a couple episodes ago when I made a Garden of Gethsemane comp about mm-hmm. Nacho and you were happy that you had just brushed up on Jesus uh-huh. <laughs> recently so you <laughs> understood the reference? Well, I learned that in this song, in Stellar Nacht, is, it's actually a, a vocal version of Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Wow, it comes ben. back around. Finger on the Jesus pulse here. I'm so proud. All of those me. years of Catholic school <laughs> finally coming in handy. The other like really splashy thing that that kicks off this episode is we get like Kim's restless night, right? And we get the shot of the clock, and it's three seventeen on the clock, and when seen in reflection, that's the word lie. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun times <laughs> on the old uh, trick shot uh, front. Yep. And uh, so, what did you make of of Kim's insomnia uh, sequence starting yeah. this episode? Why do you think she's hiding the truth from Jimmy here, right? Because she pretends to be working when he wakes up. He flips his light on and she flips her light on and then she reaches for some reading material. I don't know if she forgot in that moment that she had propped the chair in front of the door, <laughs> which kind of <laughs> gave away the game here. So it's mm-hmm. not just your your average study sesh. But do you think that she is hiding the truth to spare him the strain of knowing that Lalo is alive and out there? Or is this cold, pragmatic Kim who doesn't trust him with that knowledge or doesn't trust him to be able to stand the strain because she doesn't think he's made of stern enough stuff. I was going to say it's the sterner stuff. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think she knows that they need to keep their eye on the Howard prize here, mm-hmm. that that Jimmy is already slightly vacillating on the on the Howard plan. Yeah. And so she's like, if I add this strain, you know, it's possible he's all he's just going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So I, I need I need this to go well <laughs> and then we can worry together about Lalo if we need to. Right, right, yeah. So uh, email we got from uh, listener Martha, and of course, please do feel free to always email us. Kim Wexler lives at at gmail.com. We got a lot of great emails this Mm -hmm. last week. Great, great emails. But she pointed out in last week's episode when we got Kim's foot tapping as she's waiting for Cliff, et cetera, that she, uh, Martha thought that was a reference to the iconic Diane Keaton movie, Baby Boom, a mm-hmm. tremendous movie if you've never seen it, <laughs> where the camera focuses on Diane Keaton's tapping foot in moments of anxiety and specifically moments of anxiety that have to do with her trying to, quote unquote, have it all do it all mm-hmm. lean in if you will um and so i don't know if that's an intentional connection but i love i, I love any excuse to talk about baby boom so i'll just throw that out there <laughs> yeah let's move on to gus and your beloved spice curls what do you want <laughs> with the southwestern kick <laughs> why have we heard about Spice Girls before in the episode JMM, and why is that related to what happens in this episode? Yeah, well, they're a huge seller, apparently. Sales are up big, even compared <laughs> to comparable restaurant scales. So, yeah, Gus presents the the new menu item at the Madrigal meeting, right, of all of the various Madrigal subsidiaries. And so I think that is relevant here 
not only is it an impressive instance of salesmanship, I think, that Gus is able to upsell this guy on the spice curls after he's already <laughs> ordered the 12-piece spicy chicken bucket. <laughs> wow, it's he's true. Already, he's 12 pieces in. Then Gus is like, would you like to try some spice curls? He's like, yes, please, sir. Please put me down for those. Oh, and a couple of Cokes. <laughs> yeah, in for a bucket, in for an order of spice yeah, curls, I always say. He seems to be alone, and I'm wondering whether this is a family meal or if he's ordering the extra Coke to, to cover it to make it look like he's ordering for someone else. Anyway. Wait, if we're here to go. Yeah, that's a good question. Too. If it's to go, he's taking it home to the fam. Yeah, maybe. although do you really want to refrigerate and heat up the spice curls? I don't know that they would survive that oh, process. Oh, spice so well. curls definitely do not travel. I completely <laughs> agree with you. No. Anyway, this is an impressive instance of salesmanship. But beyond that, I think it's relevant because it seems to be that the spice curls maybe trigger that memory of Gus presenting the Spice Curls at the Magical Meeting, which then leads to another epiphany, right? And we suddenly see Gus lose it, right? He zones out and he seems to have a realization. And I assume the way I interpret that this was that this is the moment when he realizes where Lalo is, what we've all been wondering for a few episodes now. He knows, he places that Lalo must be going to Germany, not to get the original recipe for Spice Curls, but <laughs> <laughs> to figure out about the super lab. Do you think there's seven proprietary herbs and spices <laughs> in the Spice Curl? <laughs> or is like, or if, because it's Gus and he does everything extra, it's like 11. <laughs> yeah, right. It was good to see uh, assistant manager Lyle, by the way, still around, turning in his typically acceptable work. But yeah, does that seem because that's the moment when Gus, you know, to the extent that Gus ever loses his composure. Yeah, that is when he kind of freaks out a little bit and he has to leave the restaurant and we get that dramatic shot of him from the Poyos parking lot. But that seems to be when he has that realization. It's all driven by the Spice Girls. I don't know if we're overthinking the Spice Girls or not, though, like, you know, Melissa and Allison, who I think are, are the originators of the Spice Curl <laughs> in the JMM episode, yeah. certainly had that in their pocket. Listening to the Insider podcast, they're definitely talking about Gus's spidey sense, right? That he know, like, he's the one who, like, can just look at Hector's face and be like, Lala's definitely alive. Yeah. And everyone's like, why do you think that? He's like, I just know, right? Mm -hmm. And if he said the phrase <laughs> Spice Girls and then went, I know, Germany, like, that's, I truly bow down to you, Gus, if that is in fact the case. That's an, an incredible thing. But the timing is very suspicious. He says Spice Girls, and then he's just like gone mm -hmm. uh, across across the ocean to Germany. So, yeah, I hope um, that guy got his Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Something that they mentioned on the Insider Podcast, which is a fun like sort of rule of thumb to think about when it comes to how they write these stories, is something they called Tom's Law on set, which is a ref uh, reference to Tom Schnauz, a long time Gilligan verse figure mm -hmm. and that his that Tom's law is that it's boring for an audience to watch a show where they know so much more than the main character uh -huh. and so Kim knows that Lalo's still probably alive according to Mike and Gus knows but if all of them thought Lalo was dead and we know Lalo's alive there's some sort of fun tension there where we know Lalo's just like I think Andy called him the shark from Jaws, like out there in the water. Maybe that was that sounds like a criticism actually to me, but like that he's out there and these people are unsuspecting and he's circling them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think the, there's a fine and this just speaks to the mastery of the show. There's a fine balance in saying like one or two people know, but not everyone knows. 
so that you, the audience, aren't ahead of everyone. You know, right. and I think I think that's an interesting equation for them to balance. Yeah. There's another writer's room rule. I don't know if it has a name, but I heard Vince Gilligan mention it on a previous Insider Pod, which is mystery good, confusion bad, is the way they put it, which I think is a great way to put it. Because I often feel like I don't know what's going to happen on Better Call Saul, but I never feel lost really from moment to moment. Everything that's happening is usually completely clear. It's just that we're getting only a portion of the picture. And so for the past few weeks, we didn't know where Lalo was. And I think it was much more effective that we didn't, that we were in the dark along with Lalo and Gus and everyone else, right? Because we were feeling the same suspense and curiosity that they were. Or even now, when it comes to Jimmy and Kim's plan for Howard, right? Perfect. We know that they know what the plan is, but we don't know what it is. So we have the fun of speculating, but we have to wait and see, which I I think is great because there are a lot of shows where I feel confused on a level of I don't understand what's happening here. I can't follow the sequence of events. Whereas in Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, it's just I don't know where this is going necessarily, but... I understand where we've been, and I'm willing to be led <laughs> wherever it's going. <laughs> Did you also watch the Westworld season four teaser this week? <laughs> I didn't even get that far in Westworld. That's <laughs> that's how confused I was. <laughs> okay, l- much love to Westworld. It's just a co- intentional, intentionally confusing show. Okay, Not so that much love on my spe- part. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of writers' rooms roles, I wanted to ask you about this. So we see this sequence, Gus in his full throes of his paranoia. We know that he, he so he's like wearing this bullet proof vest and wearing this gun holster and he is very since he's so fastidious about like his clothing and how he looks and stuff like that like he is enraged that he has to like have all this armor on Mm -hmm. him that because he doesn't know what's coming and he doesn't he can't plan because he doesn't know so he concocts a plan right he goes down into the lab because he's like I guess if he says Spice Curls equals Germany, Lalo's in Germany, Lalo's investigating the super lab, I'll set up a trap in the super lab. Yeah. I guess that's the Spice Curls order of events here. Yeah. But I mean, the the sliding doors moment here, like if that guy doesn't order the Spice Curls, if Gus is not a good enough salesman to upsell him on the Spice Curls, does Gus survive to Breaking Bad? Maybe he never makes that connection. I think we both know that Lyle is not going to be mentioning Spice Girls. <laughs> oh. um, so, so he goes into down into the lab. He plants his gun. He he fiddles with the lights so that he can like essentially cut the lights, grab the gun, shoot someone down there. Yeah, right? Like he paces out the steps. Right. That's so he can the trappy setting. Yeah. Right. So my question for you, as a far like more learned scholar of the Gilligan verse, <laughs> Gilligan Gould verse. Do you think this writer's room ascribes to the Chekhov's gun principle in that, mm. like, we saw Gus plant that gun, we're going to have to see that gun go off? Or does it ascribe to this other phenomenon that I like to notice in television? This has more to do with theater than guns. But, like, if you're watching a show that's about a play and you get to see the dress rehearsal of that play, you're never going to – something's going to go <laughs> wrong before performance. They're, ne- they're never going to show it to you twice. Yeah. So if they showed you rehearsal, you're not going to see – the actual thing happened. So we just watched Gus rehearse a trap. Every instinct in me is saying that trap is not something we're going to see. Mm-hmm. 
or we're going to see it go wrong or something like that. But like, what what do you think about the age old Chekhov's gun principle? <laughs> Does that apply here? Yeah. On the one hand, it's almost too straightforward to solve because they're constantly surprising us and almost nothing is predictable. We know some things are going to happen, but the actual beat by beat, how these things occur, we never seem to stay with them. <laughs> you know, like we didn't call the Germany trip, right? We're like, is he going to Chile? I mean, in retrospect, we probably could have picked up on that. But we did talk about Kai. We got close. True. Like, we did we, talk about we Kai. We circled the drain, yes, you know? Yes. But it's hard to, to call these shots in advance. And mm-hmm. so that would lead you to think that the best laid plans here are going to go awry. On the other hand, we have so much history that says that Gus really is able to see these things, that he has some sort of foresight. I mean, not completely, because we know how his life ends. So he's not able to foresee everything when it comes to Salamanca's even. But we have seen him be prescient so many times. And even here, right, because Mike is convinced that Lalo is going to go in guns blazing. So he's like, hey, we just need to wait at some point. He's going to show up and just, you know, somersault in the window or something, right? (laughs) But Lalo is being smart about it, as mm-hmm. he always is, and mm-hmm. Gus anticipates that. And so while he's busy getting the grout out, or <laughs> however he's <laughs> spending his time, like it made me think of his speech to Hector back in season four, episode six, mm-hmm. about the kawadi, right? Mm-hmm. The animal that uh, he just laid in wait for this animal that was robbing the tree of fruit. And instead of going after it directly, he just waits for it to come to him and it is ensnared in his trap. And Mm. then they finally have this confrontation, but on Gus's terms, on no one else's terms. And it certainly checks out that Lalo would be coming to the super lab at some point to verify whatever he discovers in Germany. And it would even be poetically satisfying maybe if he does meet his end there and maybe he ends up in the concrete or in the dirt, right? Maybe he is interred in the super lab and maybe that's how Breaking Bad, our perception (laughs) is changed by Better Call Saul. Every time we see, you know, the fly or a cook scene in in Breaking Bad, we'll be thinking about Lalo's corpse somewhere buried beneath the concrete. Moldering, yeah. Yeah. Someone suggested that the fly was like (laughs) Lalo's spirit haunting the lab. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, like maggots on his corpse or something. (laughs) Oh God, yeah. Lalo like disintegrating in the lab is a very popular yeah. theory and I will just say that I that's not what I want mostly because I I enjoy Tony Dalton so much I know I'm still clinging to this hope that he survives into the gene timeline because I feel like we're going to get a lot of gene we have to, right, at the end of all of this. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Tony Dalton, give me Tony Dalton in black and white. I would like to. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead here, but that's the question, like something that Chris and Andy talked about. Where's the suspense come from aside from Kim and maybe aside from Howard? Because we know that Lalo does not succeed, right? He does not topple Gus. He does not bring the lab to the attention of the Salamancas. That doesn't mean he dies necessarily, but what is the scenario where he fails and yet also survives? You know, it's kind of tough to come up with a scenario where those things happen. But they're so (laughs) smart and they can give this gift to me. So uh, here's my fervent prayer to this show that they've already written. Please (laughs) let Lala live. Yeah. For now, at least, he's he's in Gus's head, he's in Mike's head, he's in Kim's head, he's in everyone's head, right? Yeah. And he has gotten Gus to the point that he can't concentrate at work. And really, work is often the way that Gus distracts himself from other things, right? He will yeah. degrease the <laughs> cooking surface 10 times while he's waiting for news about something else. 
And now he can't even focus at his desk, which turns out to be good because uh, it spurred the famous Spice Girls connection. But (laughs) (laughs) that just shows, I mean, along with the glass shattering in the earlier episode, like he is feeling the strain here. He's cracking up. I still have to wonder if this is the most interesting thing we could be doing with Gustavo Fring in these final episodes. I feel like, I mean, okay, so Giancarlo Esposito is directing next week's episode, which could either mean that it's a big Gus episode or it could mean that it's not a big Gus episode. Either mm-hmm. either he got to direct himself in a major way or he gets the week off from acting because he's making his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't know. But we got a bunch of emails because we were talking about Chile, right? Pinochet. Like, we got a bunch of emails about like, you know, Gus's past. And I kind of think this could be a cool opportunity to explore some of that or, you know, I don't know. I, I the Saul writers are so much smarter than I am, so I don't I don't think it's really fruitful for me to be like, what else could we be doing? But I will say, like, some of these Gus is cracking up sequences feel a little ponderous to me. Yeah, I, I think the pace of the final season, because you expect it to be amped up, is yeah. maybe a bit off-putting to casual Saul fans, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Saul really inspires such loyalty, such hardcore affiliation and scholarship of the show that yeah. I don't know that anyone at this point is still around who's just kind of dipping in and out. If they are, they're probably pretty confused. They don't know where Spice Curls came from. But I think that if you are in, and look, like we've talked about the maybe deliberate pace of some of the earlier seasons, and there's a lot of rich character building and depth that goes on there, as well as the craftsmanship just on the other side of the camera. I think people probably, after the way season five ended with Bagman and just all of the other intense events there, Mm. maybe expected things to be full throttle to the finish line, more the way that Breaking Bad was. And it has been at times with Nacho's end, but mm-hmm. then it has pulled back and said, hey, no, this is better call Saul. Like, this is the way the show has always been. This is the way it will be right up until the end. But at some point, it's got to pick up, and we do have a mid-season finale coming up in two weeks. So yeah, if yeah. we get a, a Gus backstory episode where poor Giancarlo Esposito somehow has to look even younger. Even younger? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to put that on him. No, no, yeah. no. I don't know if this is the time. I'll, as much as I'd like to know more about Gus and his history. Although it's kind of nice just not knowing, right? Just having yeah. him be a cipher. Let the mystery be? Okay, mm-hmm. I can do that. All right. On this on this subject of patience and waiting, let's let's hear from the aforementioned Grandma Saracen, Luann Stevens, <laughs> on that topic. If a document or a piece of evidence is relevant, that means it has a tendency to prove or disprove an element in this the case. This whole thing is just taking so darn long. Unfortunately, high-stakes class actions like these often move on a protracted timeline. Well, okay. Some of us don't have a protracted timeline, if you know what I mean. I know you all want to get to the finish line. Boy, I I sure do. But I'm going to level with you. Truth is, we still have a ways to go. All right, that takes us into our next section, which is uh, to talk about like the trio of women who show up in this episode. We've got Francesca, who we knew it was coming from the the promo. We've got Viola, and we'll talk about her in a second. I don't know if they pronounce it Viola or Viola um, in this in the show. And then Aaron, uh, so, which brings us to Sandpiper. I just want to do a quick mm-hmm. shout out to any Mythic Quest watchers. Yes. Jesse Ennis, <laughs> who plays Aaron yeah. on the show, is so incredible in Mythic Quest as Joe. I mean, great Joe, name for a character. Yeah, your namesake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, she's a genius on that show. <laughs> and I hadn't seen Mythic Quest when Aaron was on Saul before. So when she came back, I was like, oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> Jesse Ennis, great stuff. <laughs> yeah, and sort of uh, sort of a similar vibe, mm-hmm. right? The way that she looks at, at Howard in this episode <laughs> kind of reminds me how she looks at Rob McElhenney mm-hmm. in uh, Mythic Quest. All right, so we do the Sandpiper check-in, and before our sort of lead member of the case was a woman named Irene, but here we've got someone new, played Luann Luan Stevens, who played Grandma Saracen on Friday Night Lights as Sally. Not everyone is a huge Friday Night Lights watcher. <laughs> Not everyone cares as much about Grandma Saracen as I do. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it could be that she was just here for this episode. But I feel like you don't cast Luann Stevens necessarily for like three lines of dialogue. What Do you, mm-hmm. do you feel like we're going to see more of this character? Ben? I thought so, yeah. And shout out to Longmire as well, because she had a, a recurring oh, role nice. as Ruby nice. in Longmire. <laughs> so yeah, I would expect that this was not a one-off necessarily. All right, so we'll keep, let's keep our eye on her. I mean, we got to, in theory, wrap up everything Sandpiper before we all go uh, go home here. Mm-hmm. Then we get this interaction between Kim and Viola. Viola, of course, played by another Keiko Ajina, uh, who from Gilmore Girls, et cetera, et cetera. Great, great actress. Uh, I don't know that she's ever been like used to her full potential on Saul, but she is used really well here, I think, in the way that she subtly gets under Kim's skin. What did you think of this interaction? Yeah, especially the line when she says, I really admire you changing direction like that. Sometimes I question all of it, but you make me feel better about the law. (laughs) That has to hit differently. That also reminds me of our conversation about Wexler in German, right? Mm. Being one who changes or inspires change. Yeah, Wexler. And so Viola is uh, admiring her for changing direction like this, but she doesn't even know the true directional change that she's making here away from the law. So Mm. I wondered, you know, I mean, Kim, by the way, is just like setting up in El Camino 24-7. Like, is she renting space in there now? This is the the Kim Wexler Memorial booth where she holds all of her business meetings. But I love it for her. I would think (laughs) that that line, like, As she says that, I mean, the whole purpose of this meeting is not just to catch up with an old workplace proximity associate, but to wheedle the information about the judge in the Sandpiper case out of her. So Mm -hmm. even as she's being told that she is just a fine, upstanding citizen here, she is doing just the opposite. Yeah, and I can't remember. Do you remember the exact language Jimmy uses? Like you weaseled it out of her or something like that? Yeah. 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 So... I, I thought that, that was interesting. These are interesting, like mirrors to hold up to Kim. And I thought, I thought Racy Horns, like the look on Kim's face as she digests that, and then it cuts away. Like that's the end of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> like close in on Kim's uncomfortable face, cut away. So there we go. All right. Last but not least, so our trio of, of uh, ladies in this episode, we've got Francesca. As we said, we we knew she was coming. We've known she's coming for a while. We met her earlier in Better Call Saul. She was working for Kim and Jimmy. She really loved Kim. She didn't have uh, much affection for Jimmy at all. So there's this big this big question in the audience of how is how is Francesca gonna like come over to Jimmy's side when she doesn't really care for him? Like how is she gonna do this? And the answer turns out to be something extremely simple, <laughs> like uh, the right price tag apparently. Yep. So my question is, uh, are, 
are we overthinking some of these other like how is this person possibly going to go from this to this like is this a good lesson for us to not like expect an elaborate explanation for every yeah, single maybe so. turn of the screw you know although in Breaking Bad Francesca was always a hustler right like she kind of made sense as a, as a colleague of Jimmy's at that time because she was always working her own ankle so I mm-hmm. guess it sort of makes sense even though she never liked Jimmy she'll go where the paycheck is or where the bonus is and I did want to mention while we're doing deep dives on various texts, can we just analyze the lyrics of the Wilson Phillips song, Release Me, that Francesca is yes. rocking out to as she's driving up here? So Always. To, to bring the same level of analysis to this that we brought to Julius Caesar last week, <laughs> <laughs> the song starts, I know that it's time for a change, but when the change comes, will you still feel the same? Mm. So this reminds me again of... Vexler and of changing. Mm -hmm. And we actually got an email from Dominic in Germany, who I'm sure was excited about the Germany location of this week's episode, who said that not only is Vexler someone who changes or switches, but it can also be someone who enables change, like a money changer. So Mm. it's actually maybe Kim who is transforming Jimmy into Saul to some extent. So it works in both levels. But maybe Francesca's being changed too by this interaction as she's rolling up here. Previously, she was a fan of Kim, (laughs) and she seems a little dismayed, maybe, that they're married now. I think she probably thinks that Kim could have done better, (laughs) but she is uh, getting on board with Jimmy because that's where the money is, so that's going to shape her path now, too. Doesn't matter if it's an empty office with a toilet in the middle of the floor. Yep. She's here for it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing in the sacred texts of the Bible, Shakespeare, and Wilson Phillips. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm really excited to see that holy trinity in play here. Um, I want to I shout out this really interesting observation, speaking of the office, from uh, our listener, Bob, who wrote in saying, Saul showing Kim his new office space and saying it was a temporary spot until he could find something better remind me of the flashback of Walt touring his home in the full measure episode of season three of Breaking Bad. Walt considered the house a starter home that they'd have to move out of in a year. Saul also views his office space as temporary solution and even hopes to get the landlord to agree to a month-to-month lease so he can upgrade soon. Both men had lofty vision of their future, home slash office, but ultimately made their temporary solution permanent. I like that because in both instances in that season three episode of Breaking Bad and in this one, we know already that these men are going to stay where they are. Uh, So there's that dramatic irony sort of hanging over it and a a depressing dramatic irony. Yes. Yeah. We mentioned that last week. I think it's sort of sad that Saul thinks he's going to upgrade, that this is just a stopgap, but we know that's as good as it's going to get, at least in his Saul persona. Maybe there are better things ahead for him as Gene, but I hadn't made the Walt connection. So nice observation, Bob. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go!
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's go to, let's go to the, an unexpected boxing <laughs> ring for Hamlin versus McGill, the fight of the century. <laughs> to borrow one of my favorite phrases describing one of the best episodes of Mad Men, the thriller in vanilla between <laughs> Hamlin and McGill. <laughs> we get a Cicero mention twice in this episode, I think. And our listener, Chris, on the heels of our Julius Caesar <laughs> aside last week, wrote in to say, Jimmy is from Cicero. Pretty sure Cicero was a lawyer and a charismatic orator and is in Julius Caesar as well. I hadn't put that together. I love that. Did you have, I mean, I guess it was in the trailer for the season, but I missed it. But like, did you expect Howard and and Jimmy to uh, box out their feelings (laughs) this season? No, I did not. No. And I don't think Jimmy did until that instant when he turns around just as he's about to walk away. But we got this great Howard line, right, as he's standing over him. You've mistaken my kindness for weakness, which is wonderful. I think we're getting a lot of layers to Howard here. What I wondered, I mean, this fight, I love that Jimmy is fighting dirty, right? Even during the boxing match, you know, he's faking that he needs a second and then he comes up swinging or he's stepping on Howard's foot and then punching him while he's flat footed. But I did kind of wonder, like, is there a slip in Jimmy aspect to this fight or a a diving Jimmy? Is Jimmy taking a dive here? Because, look, I I think Howard is is the better qualified person to (laughs) win this fight. Although I guess, you know, Bob Odenkirk is is in nobody's shape maybe at this point. I don't know. They kind of hid that a little bit with his wardrobe. But (laughs) shout out to Patrick Fabian's arms. Patrick was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going sleeveless. Yeah, he trained for this. He got on the the Marvel diet for this scene. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, though, is Jimmy throwing this fight, do you think? Or is he so into it because of his animosity and the grudge that he holds against Howard? Like, Howard's trying to send a lesson here, right? And he's hoping that maybe Jimmy will just get this aggression out in the ring and then he'll leave him alone, although he knows and and doesn't really believe that that's going to happen. And on some level, Howard just wants to punch this guy (laughs) too, right? Because he's been, you know, pranking him and gaslighting him and sabotaging him for quite a while now, going back to the bowling ball stunt and Mm -hmm. the sex worker in the restaurant stunt, etc. So what I wondered, though, initially it looks like Jimmy just sort of got suckered into this fight, right? He was Mm going to walk away and then he just couldn't let it go. But then the conversation with Kim afterward painted in a new light because neither of them is at all disconcerted that Howard has seen through their plan. In fact, that seems to be part of the plan that he would. And... Jimmy's like, well, why did I do this? Why did I not walk away? And Kim says, it's because you know what's coming next. And we don't know what's coming next, but does that mean there's an element of guilt here? Like Jimmy wants to give Howard one more win before they spring whatever trap they have prepared for him? That's the exact journey I went on. That at first I was like, oh man, Jimmy, born to lose. Right. Like, you know, got himself put in a position where he's going to, you know, but, but then... In that Kim conversation, exactly. I mean, because of how she says it, how she grabs his hand. And and then we're all concerned because at first you're sitting there going, of course they got caught. You know, Howard says basically like another sex worker. Like yep. you already did this. Yeah. Why are you doing this? And shout out to uh, 
the folks on the Reddit who pointed me in this direction that when they were first doing the, you know, country club bit, um, and I think that's when she says that the Kim goes, I'm worried this is all too subtle. <laughs> right. And I didn't uh, pick up on that at the time. But now that we know that, like, they're trying to go for unsubtle uh, because they want to get caught because of dot, 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 whatever's next in their plan. And, and, yeah. we, and again, at the time, I, I thought they meant too subtle for Cliff to pick up. On. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that, um, again, that's a perfect example of what you were talking about before. We're like mystery, not confusion. Right. Where we're like, oh, but we're not <laughs> confused as to what's going on. It's just like another piece of the puzzle clicks into place, which is yeah. which is really fun. The bigger plan, I don't know what it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it seems to involve this judge. So Judge Rand uh, Casimiro, which is uh, the information that Kim weaseled out <laughs> of her former colleague, has a distinctive handlebar mustache. And as you mentioned before, Jimmy says, that's a lot less face to worry about, which sounds like someone is going to be impersonated. <laughs> this this reminds me of like when you watch way too, too many films and too much television like I do. You have this spidey sense when someone shows up with like outlandish facial hair or something like that. Mm-hmm. You kind of wonder, are they going to be impersonated later yeah, by someone? Suddenly you, you think, know? Germany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spice curls, damn it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the, Jimmy had the same thought. He's like, handlebar mustache, perfect for our plan that involves impersonating a judge, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I don't feel like looking at that guy, I don't feel like Jimmy himself is going to be doing this. It feels like they're going to hire an actor to do this, but that feels super illegal, <laughs> impersonating a judge, right? <laughs> yeah. And my question is, have they underestimated Howard, even if this was part of the plan? And in retrospect, it seems obvious that it would. They're using the same tricks from the same playbook Mm -hmm. here. How could he fail to realize this? Now, it could just be that they don't care if he realizes because blaming everything on Jimmy slash Saul just makes him look guiltier, right? It's even more incriminating. I mean, you can see that. Makes him sound like Chuck. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in the Cliff scene where Cliff confronts Howard and Howard immediately was like, I don't have that kind of problem. I have a Jimmy problem, right? I mean, I think that is even more suspicious to Cliff that he's deflecting here, that he's not admitting that he has the problem that Cliff is convinced that he has. So to some extent, like the obviousness of the plan means that that plays right into Jimmy and Kim's hands because it it makes him look more guilty in Cliff's eyes. On the other hand, could it be that even so, they have underestimated Howard and that now that he puts a tail on them, he basically has Axe's fixer from billions following Jimmy around at this point. Oh, is that who that is? <laughs> I don't think it is, but that's who I thought it was. Oh, initially. okay. Sorry. <laughs> Same sort of uh, role. No, hoeing. Yeah, 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 right. Sorry, exactly. Sorry. Okay. I watch too much TV, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm making connections that aren't even there. But is that farther than they thought he would go. I mean, you'd think that they would be able to anticipate that, right? That maybe that is a move that Howard would make. But if not, does that mean that they have made it so obvious that Howard will actually surprise them Mm. in some way and not just play right into their hands? So that brings us to Andy Greenwald's theory um, that he floated on the watch, this idea that like it's not going to be the cartel or Jimmy or whatever that brings down Kim. It's not going to be that Kim dies it's that kim's gonna be disbarred and maybe that's a fate worse than death it's not but like (laughs) it feels like it might be for for kim andy saying that made me go back to thinking about like when they're first plotting out this scheme around howard and kim says we're talking about a career setback a career setback for one lawyer Mm -hmm. she's talking about howard here but is that sort of dropped in there as a foreshadowing for her is it is it a career setback for kim for one lawyer and is that is is being disbarred 
as a result of all of this, enough for her to break with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she can possibly blame him since she's the one leading the charge in all of this. But like, you know, if she's like, that's it, I need I need to go. I lost this thing that was so important to me. I could see that happening. The other thing that I want to talk about in relation to that, and then I want to hear your thoughts, but in relation to that, we got... I, I don't think it was an email because I couldn't find it. So I think it must be something someone tweeted at me. Um, This idea that going back to last week's episode, when we were in the therapy session with Howard, you and I talked about how maybe that was a reason to remind us that Howard's a human. He talks about his home life. Howard's a a real human. And this is a real human on the line here that they are targeting, that Howard's the good guy, all this sort of stuff like that. But someone messaged me to say, What's sad about that therapy session, right, is that the therapist has to remind Howard to talk about his personal life because right. Howard goes in talking about work. And so if we circle back to that, that those lines, we're talking about a career setback, a career setback for one lawyer. Like if work is all that matters to Howard, if work is his entire world, that's a bigger crime than someone who has a healthy work-life balance and can just be like, <laughs> oh, well, at least I have my happy home life with yeah, Howard right. doesn't seem to have. Right. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, now that we know he has trouble at home, <laughs> work kind of is his life. I guess we could have imagined before that he did have some happy home life that we just weren't privy to. Although I don't know that I did imagine that. (laughs) I kind (laughs) of just pictured Howard as someone who was sort of living for HHM. But it was at least a possibility. And now we know that he has everything to lose. And I think in the next time on, which we will talk about before we end, but on that board of plans for Howard here, I I think one of the the sticky notes is just like a a nuclear cloud. You know, it's like they're going nuclear in some way. I don't know how or what form that will take, but that's worrisome. And now you have this like multiple tails situation, right? Right. Because you have Howard's guy following Jimmy just as Mike's guy is following Kim or or maybe both of them. So the tails are going to be tripping over each other. What worries me, I think, is that Mike told Kim to ignore the tails, right? Yeah. And said he didn't care about whatever caper Kim and Jimmy have going on on the side. Just ignore them, you know? And so maybe Kim sees the tail that is on Jimmy's trail and she ignores them because she thinks that, oh, this is just Mike's guys, right? And so doesn't know that it's Howard's P.I., does something that she wouldn't mind Mike's guys seeing, but very much would mind Howard Mm. seeing. And then does this arm Howard with some information that helps him take down Jimmy? I mean, if Jimmy is exposed as a friend of the cartel here and there are already suspicions surrounding him, does that Mm -hmm. help Howard or does that get Howard in even deeper trouble, right? Because now maybe Howard's in the game if he inadvertently stumbles over something Jimmy is doing with Mike and Lalo and who knows who else. So maybe Howard is about to submerge himself in even deeper waters here. So I'm worried for Howard. And yet I'm also thinking maybe Howard rallies and sort of surprises Jimmy because he's just like he's had it hard. I mean, he hasn't always been likable and easy to root for. He's been arrogant and conceited at times. But as we have discussed, he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, Yeah. he gets a bad rep and they think he's something that he's not often. And so it would be almost unjust if he just ended up getting taken down. Not that everyone gets a happy ending who deserves one. I mean, barely anyone deserves one in the Gilligan verse. But <laughs> if anyone deserves sort of a better ending than they've had, it's it's Howard probably of these remaining characters. So 
I wouldn't want to see him go down that way, you know, just like run afoul of Gus somehow while he's trying to keep tabs on Jimmy. But if they did, if they got Howard killed mm. when they just meant to, the nuclear cloud is supposed to be, was there a handlebar mustache on the nuclear cloud? <laughs> 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 but if they're just trying to like nuclear cloud his career and they get him killed. Another thing I wondered is, does Howard think that Kim is in on this at this point? Does he know? Because he places Jimmy at the scene of the crime as soon as he hears that Cliff was meeting with Kim. He That's the giveaway, right? Okay, Jimmy is involved. But does he still think that Kim is kind of a pawn of Jimmy here, that she doesn't see his true nature because of that earlier scene after the bowling ball episode where Howard, he tries to stage an intervention? But I think her reaction to him in that scene would make him think... No, she's not just a pawn here. Maybe right? so. Is She's in on yeah. it too. So yeah, he knows that they're in cahoots at this point. She's like, this is condescending. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to a segment of the of the notes that I'm calling Run, Lalo, Run. <laughs> um, because Lalo's in Germany. Yeah. Werner payoff that we've been looking for since season four. We did not go as far as Germany in our speculation. But one of our listeners did. Before this episode aired, our listener named Matthew wrote in saying like, you guys are so close. You mentioned Kai. Why didn't, why didn't you make the final step, which yep. is Lalo's going to Germany? Uh, and, and Matthew was hoping uh, mm-hmm. hoping to hear Tony Dalton's German. So to oblige him, here's a brief snippet of Tony Dalton speaking German ever so briefly. Darf sein? Ein Martini, bitte. Vodka or gin? <laughs> Give me whatever you like. You're American. I guess you could spot us a mile away. I could have used so much more than that, just that clip. I love that he switches to English almost immediately. And then the bartender goes, American? And he's like, oh, I guess you can always tell. I'm like, well, maybe because you were speaking English immediately. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I got some questions on Twitter about like, how is it that Lala was able to make, like remind us, refresh us on how Lalo knows to go to Germany to search out Werner's uh, widow and stuff like that. So in a reminder... Mm-hmm. In the season four finale, Lalo called Werner, uh, pretending to sort of be part of Fring's organization. And Werner, the leakiest ship that ever was, just starts <laughs> blabbing. Uh, you know, and he mentions Mike. He mentions a South Wall. He mentions Kai's name. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that, that Werner just babbles on to Lalo about as Lalo is, like, casually fishing for intel on what this construction site is uh any anything that sticks out to you particularly from that season four exchange yeah well also i think he got more info when he was at travel wire right when he he mission impossible down through the ceiling that's when i knew lala was gonna be my favorite (laughs) 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 i think he looked through the records right of the transfer that margarita sent to Werner, and so presumably there was some information there about who she was or an address something like that i mean we know that he is a a super pi you want to put lalo on the case we want that spinoff but I think he had more of a paper trail here than that, just the name. So we circle back to this plaque that we saw. At the, I mean, first of all, lovely sex. Like, I would happily watch Lalo seduce widows all over Europe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Till the end of time. I love it. <laughs> and I love that on the Insider podcast, they were sort of like, their understanding of, of this exchange is that like, Lalo is kind of like kind of into it. And that like, ultimately, yeah. though he puts the silencer on the gun and is ready and has it out if he needs it, like he would prefer to go out the window than kill her if he you know so like he doesn't you know we like her yeah, he likes I, her he no one wants her dead 
you know, essentially. I don't think he has a conscience exactly, but I think he doesn't want to kill her for maybe multiple reasons. One, they had a nice conversation. (laughs) Two, I think also if she were to be killed, that would probably get back to Gus and Mike, right? I mean, maybe Gus knows anyway what Lalo is up to, but that would kind of be a giveaway. Spice girl! If someone, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So I don't think he wants to kill her. And can I just say, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a dachshund guy. Oh, are you? (laughs) This was hard for me. (laughs) I am so happy that Bershin is okay. I know that our mutual friend Mallory Rubin is uh, usually the one who is on the edge of her seat and, and Possibly Protect Bershin at all costs. To, to all creatures, large and small. But this was tough for me. I am like I am the person for whom the website does the dog die <laughs> exist. <laughs> so to have a dachshund, this was yeah. a, a, a triggering scene for me. I mean, watching Nacho get got was tough enough. But if something had happened to Bershin, I don't know that that Lalo could have come back from that for me. But I will also just say that as a, a nearly lifelong dachshund owner that of all of Lalo's superhuman powers, you know, all of the windows that he climbs out mm-hmm. of and the ceiling tiles that he And flights, flights he catches <laughs> out of Mexico to Germany, sure. Convincing a dachshund that doesn't understand Spanish, presumably, to stop barking, that's at the top of the list because my dog would have died in this oh, scenario. God. She never would have stopped <laughs> barking while Lalo was in the house. So just as I would watch Lalo seduce widows across, across Europe, you would watch Lalo, like, dog, dog whisperer whisper. in yeah. Spanish? Absolutely. Love it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Give us all these Lalo spinoffs. Okay, so the piece of information that Lalo gets from the house here is we circle back to this memento that it turns out Werner's loyal men gave to I'm assuming it's post-mortem like a gift that they sent because Margareta says they sent flowers they sent cars she didn't say they sent a slide rule in Lucite maybe they did that from another job but the mm-hmm. the slide rule in Lucite the inscription uh please forgive my shoddy German in Liebe dein Jungs which means love from your boys mm-hmm. and there's a sticker yep. on the bottom that is the manufacturer's name which is Volkers i froze the frame i enhanced um but i'm pretty sure there was an address on there or if not he can find it in the phone book but volkers Uh is like the the person who produces so presumably he can go to the manufacturer say who commissioned this very specific piece uh and then go find kai Mm -hmm. or casper or whoever that he wants to find um and then get the squeezy intel that he wants out when we talked about kai last week we talked about that exchange when mike in the season five premiere, sending all of Werner's boys back to Germany. And Kai says, talk some shit on Werner, and Mike punches him down into the sand. There's another person in that scene, Casper, mm-hmm. who says, he was worth 50 of you to Mike. So Kai yes. and Casper top of my list of like two, but Kai perhaps because he got punched by Mike, or Casper perhaps because he was so vocal about um, his admiration for Werner. But my question is, you know, if... if the break if the better call Saul writers feel like Mike made an error in that scene that will come back to haunt him mm-hmm. is it just letting those boys live at all like should they all have 
you know, been paved under in the super lab or something like that. Like, what do you think? <laughs> right. It could be that. It could right. be pissing them off <laughs> so that they are eager to give away Mike. And I haven't seen it, but I saw sourced from Reddit, right, that there's a, a DVD yeah. commentary of that scene, I think, from Peter Gould, where he says that Mike may have made a misstep here, either, you know, when he punches Kai, possibly. And he lets Kai drive away alone. He says it's a, a long drive. I think he's mm-hmm. the only one, maybe, who gets to go solo. So maybe something happens to Kai on that trip that will make it easier for Lalo to pick up his trail, or maybe he just gets his address from the company because he commissioned it. I don't know if if, uh, Kai would have been the one paying for that, but I assume that he will track them down. And, you know, I don't know, like, if Mike hadn't punched Kai, would he have gone to his grave to protect the secret from Lalo when Lalo shows up? Uh, You know, probably not, maybe, but just out of fear... He is going to be afraid to say anything because of what happened to Werner, but I assume that Lalo has ways of making people talk, and it's not just uh, having a great pickup line and buying you a drink <laughs> always. So I worry for for Werner's boys, but you would think that he's gonna he's gonna weasel some information out of them too. Hopefully, it's just weaseling and not. Hopefully, they <laughs> live the other uh, as as long and use. as healthily as yeah. the dachshund. Um, the last thing I want to say on on the Werner front is, did you feel like the Lalo line in the bar where he says minerals <laughs> is a Marie Hank <laughs> yeah. rocks joke? Uh, yeah, I I wasn't sure what that was a okay. reference to, but maybe Reddit seems to think so, and uh-huh. I and I and I love that for them. Yeah. If that's the case. And I liked right. also that uh, she spoke up to correct the trivia players about the first female astronaut, right? Because we have seen Werner do something similar to maybe back in season four in a bar scene when he spoke up to correct someone. I think maybe about the pronunciation of a German drink. So they're they're soulmates. Oh, half a Weizen. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. You're they right. were meant for each other. I wish that they enjoyed a long retirement of correcting people in bars but i guess you know that's why uh lalo didn't get invited in there who could turn down lalo but when you had verner and you're still in mourning i guess i, I mean get that it. verner's the gold standard yeah. they broke the mold i guess yeah. and they made him um yeah that was really relatable content from margarita i too have corrected <laughs> people on trivia in bars okay uh let's let's wrap up here with a little like priester egg as they like to call it in the insider podcast uh, segment one thing they mentioned on the Insider podcast this week is they dropped this phrase Schnauz Tom Schnauz we mentioned earlier Schnauz Farms Cheese and they're like oop that's a that's an Easter egg for the future I don't know what that means Schnauz hmm. Farms Cheese hmm. we'll find out are we going to a dairy farm well, who knows next week as we mentioned the episode is directed by Giancarlo Esposito it's called Axe and Grind along our X and Y trajectory here in this season. We know some things. So we're going to talk about the promo for a second. If you're the kind of person who does not like to watch the promos, those people definitely exist. We will see you next week, mm-hmm. but we're going to get into it right now. So let's talk about first. We see a character we've seen before Dr. Caldera, who is this like vet cartel, Dr. Fixer connection uh, haver. We also see a shot of the business card for, Best quality vacuums. Yeah, best so quality vacuum. So do you think these things are related? Do you have any thoughts or feelings about Dr. Caldera coming in next week? Happy to see him again. <laughs> Albuquerque's best veterinarian slash underworld uh-huh. hookup guy. Maybe he makes the connection to Ed the Disappear. I mean, 
I wonder, because unfortunately the actor who played Ed, yeah. Robert Forster, he passed away a couple of years ago, right? Which makes you think that we will probably not be seeing Ed, I imagine. So that kind of complicates things because you could come up with some scenarios where that would have made some sense. But even just having the card, I guess that explains how Jimmy has it later on, right? Maybe he gets it from Dr. Caldera. Who knows? Who's in need of disappearing as early as next week? Well, we know Kim will not be exiting right? that soon, I would think, unless she shows up later in the season in the future. You never know which way they're going to go. Are we go. going from like chair under the door handle to <laughs> yeah. disappear it's me? It's a big leap. Maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> we also get a shot of the Albuquerque Isotopes car freshener. It seems to be something that like Kim is using in a court case, uh, but it is also the uh, uh, key item from the gene flash forward where jeff the cab driver in the gene timeline has one dangling that's how we know he's from albuquerque Mm -hmm. why he recognizes saul which is if you recall it's been a while but puts gene in quite a pickle uh (laughs) being recognized uh at the cinnabon uh do you think this is just like a like fun little unrelated uh, Easter egg, or what do you, do you hear? My little Bearshin barking. In the I back. heard your Bearshin <laughs> while I was here. In the <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't. I'm always uh, as a baseball guy, happy to see any baseball reference in Better Call Saul, which is always a, a baseball show. I don't know what to make of this unless it it is kind of a precursor of jumping forward in time. And, you know, there was another shot in this promo, uh, a heavily tattooed hand. I don't know whether you placed that. I was trying to figure out whose hand that might be. I was Mm. Googling Skinny Pete's tattoos and I kept getting Pete Davidson. (laughs) Or I thought maybe it's Emilio, who we know was part of connecting Jesse with Saul and he had some tattoos. So I... Let's just yeah. hope again it's Danny Trejo. Yeah, sure. Let's That'd just be great like <laughs> let's just spend the rest of this uh, stretch of show uh, wishing for Danny Trejo. Jesse Walt expectation check. Mm. Okay, so like we've got two more episodes of this sequence. There's a theory that part two takes all takes place all in the Gene timeline. Yeah. I'd be a little surprised at this point, given how slowly things are unfurling here um uncurling and <laughs> spice curling what's your, what's your jesse walt expectation do you think we're gonna get them next week or the week after or in part two i guess i would lean part two but maybe part one is a way to make it not seem anticlimactic if it ends up just being sort of a small role which i imagine it will be and kind of hope it will be you know i saw someone maybe suggest that maybe we just get a shot of them in the future over Lalo's burial place in the super lab, you know, just like during one of their cooks, potentially. I think you suggested last week, maybe after we stopped recording, that maybe we will see them in the initial introduction scene of Saul when they take Saul out to the desert, right? And Mm. I thought that might make sense because conveniently they were wearing masks (laughs) in that scene, at least the beginning of that scene, which would help Mm -hmm. with the age issue. So either way, I I guess that could happen part one. Maybe that's kind of the the mid-season finale curtains on Walt and Jesse. All right. Well, we will be on tenterhooks to... uh, to see if Walt and Jesse show up anytime soon. Yes. Yeah. And one more observation I meant to make earlier. We talked in a recent episode about all the ways that Kim has shaped the Saul persona now, recommending the car and the office and everything else. And in this one, this is her reaction to the the Howard fight, right? That she suggests the slogan of I'll fight for you, 
which Jimmy seems quite taken with. And as we know, in Breaking Bad, he does go through with the with the Better Call Saul, I Will Fight For You ad, which is, you know, again, maybe that's another little echo where if we're rewatching Breaking Bad, we think back to the origin story of that ad, which we did not know at the time. But whether Kim is present or not, her impact is still being felt. She's cast in that long shadow over that series, even if she's not appearing in this it. This is how you know Ben and I are on the same Spice Girl uh, brainwave. Uh, that is the clip you will have heard open this episode is uh, Kim making that suggestion. <laughs> and then I dug up a little promo of uh, of Salt. Fun fact about that promo that you heard at the beginning of this episode. Uh, that was made in 2012. So before Better Call Saul was uh, even a glimmer in anyone's eye, they made that little promo and they, mm-hmm. I think they drafted two real MMA fighters to be in that promo, uh, which is very boxing heavy. <laughs> so uh, so that's what you heard <laughs> at the beginning. Thank you, Ben, for bringing it full circle. We will be back next week to talk about Axe and Grind. And always a huge thank you to our producer, Chris Sutton. We'll see you next week. Kim Wexler lives at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, feelings, and theories. Bye. Cancel our whole week. <laughs>